Hello, this is Daniel Patrick Brown, and this is the Wine is Food podcast, and I am in the home of Glenn Hugo, my former boss. Former. I, had to, I had to wait till after I got uh, canned to, uh, to interview, say hello to everybody in podcast land, Glenn. Hello. Yes, the microphone is working. Um, yeah, so I think I looked at you midway through Harvest this year at Gerard and said, we're going to talk about what's going on right now when <laughs> a couple months <Yeah>. from now <laughs> when uh uh if i for, by the way if i forget to mention uh we're uh we're on explicit on itunes so you can definitely you know awesome say what foobar means which is the, okay. the word that we described right uh, when the shit was hitting the fan uh at a monster harvest this year in gerard so uh glenn you are the uh winemaker at gerard and you also have your own label called Hugo Family Sellers. That's us. And uh, outside of all that, that I, you know, I think you're a, a great guy, and I thought I really enjoyed working for you. And probably even before I went to work for you, I thought, oh, I'm going to interview Glenn for the podcast because you come from a restaurant background. I do, mm-hmm. uh, as do I. So, uh, and I noticed the people you hired this year, you you like restaurant people in the winery. Yeah, there's something about that thick skin. <laughs> yeah, and they. they kind of all right with cleaning yeah and uh and they're all right with being in the weeds most of the time so uh you know it's sort of sink or swim um but yeah i think uh, without i'm not sure how much you know uh if you've listened to every episode of the podcast so far uh but basically what i've done so far uh certainly in this first year of it is talk to people about how they got into this and uh which is again why i thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you because you don't have the typical story of of uh you know i went to school i you know father owned a vineyard or something like that it was it was sort of you ended up here so i'm not sure where we should start i think maybe college or something or or? as as hippies out here in california (laughs) say uh because now i'm a hippie in california apparently uh growing up in texas though so this is all this is all organic right right? Mm. so now uh but having come from texas and uh yeah, I, I actually have a business degree, so, you know. Um, that helps in the wine industry. It does, it does, definitely. <laughs> it helps you realize how quickly uh, it's not the greatest business plan to be in the wine industry, mm-hmm. but um, well, let's be honest, most of us do this for uh, for the passion of it. And we're going to have my dogs in the background. That's cool, that adds flavor, salt and pepper to yeah. the interview, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, as you mentioned, a restaurant guy, had a business degree, got sucked into the restaurant industry and the cool thing about it was I immediately uh, traveled the entire country and uh, it was actually a great opportunity to see um, you know this this great land of ours and meet people from all over the country and and even from your neck of the woods uh, where you're from originally in fact I remember when my mom asked me about my first trip to uh, the northeast I said, Mom, I just went from uh, y'all to you guys. <laughs> and it was great. It was actually a really great experience. Uh, worked my butt off. I did a lot of restaurant uh, openings. I even closed quite a few. And uh, Closed quite a few? Yeah, okay. yeah. No, I mean, our, our company was very aggressive, and we bought restaurants, oh, along, okay. uh, chains along the way. Uh-huh. And with that came, okay, well, out of 40, we're going to close... 30 or you know not 30 excuse me we're going to close 10 of them keep 30 open so guess what you're doing for the next few months you know and so I would open restaurants and then you know 
go close them and open them and close them and through the bearer of bad news sometimes, sometimes yeah but yeah. also also helping uh, open them was a great experience and somewhere along the way they put me in charge of the wine lists um, in fact I was really uh, technically uh, mostly involved with the bar side of it that was my that was my job because you were slinging drinks as a kid like me kind of yeah, right? yeah yeah I was a bar guy from day one in fact uh the so-called neon dream of owning my own bar was the first big dream of mine. It wasn't be an astronaut or a doctor. Yeah. I was going to own Hugo's bar. And uh, I actually still have the neon out in my garage that I had made. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I yeah. think I saw that. So, um, I think probably one of the only things worse than trying to be in the wine business is trying to open a bar, which I know from personal experience yes, as well. Yes, uh, health-wise health as well. It's just a, it's a pretty tough uh, industry. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I traveled a lot, got, got more and more involved with wine, started, and I fell in love with wine. And I met my wife now, uh, and at the time became my girlfriend. And we had all kinds of opportunities out, out in California to visit because I was a wine buyer. So it got to the point where it was like, anytime there was a cheap flight, sure. I was on it. We always had a place to stay. And initially, it started out as the whole, you know, getting schmoozed and coming out, and you know, you got the, you got the fancy restaurant, and you got all that, all that side of it, and that was fun for a little while. But I got bored of it pretty quickly. Um, and when I started asking our reps and you know, national account salespeople, was, I don't care about that anymore. I really want to come out and I want to meet your winemaker. I want to meet the, you know, your vineyard manager, your knowledgeist, whoever is involved with that side of it. That's who I want to get exposed to. And as, as I learned more about that side of it, you know, I just became, it just, you know, snowballed. And um, Pam and I got married in 2003 and somewhere along the lines started talking about, you know, you start talking about your life and what you're going to do. And I, I think I threw a short list out there and somewhere in there, there was living in Hawaii eating sushi all the time. Um <laughs> Didn't really figure option, out. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know what the job was going to be, but that sounded like a great idea. But um, there was the other one, which was uh, move to California and learn about making wine. And she, you know, she still tells the story that to the to, the, to today or today she still tells a story about how she immediately thought to herself, like, why don't you just say you want to be an astronaut? I mean, that just seems so out yeah, there and yeah, yeah. far from who we are and what we're. I think that is a amazing. I certainly get that reaction, particularly when it's you know the other side of the world or whatever. But it's I'm like, no, it's really just dig in and just get going. And when you realize when uh, you know, I think you probably have the conversation every year with interns that come in that have never worked in her before, and then and some of them sink and some of them swim and sure. some of them love it. Uh, but they realize yeah, I, some of them go, I, I could do this, you know, yeah. like I never thought it was even possible. And uh, I've always have uh, conversations with like, you know, interns or, or young people that have traveled. And like, yeah, I talk to my family back home and they just think it's some far like an astronaut. You know, yeah. you're like, what Crazy. are you doing? Why you're making wine? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, and it, it really I mean, for people that aren't in our industry, um, it seems very far away and. Uh, my family to this day, I mean, those that haven't actually been here and touched it and seen it still have problems wrapping their heads around. Just the verbiage they use and the things they ask me and the questions they ask you, like, wow. 
And for us, it's so obvious. And for them, it's just something completely different. Yeah, I think it's a lot more logistics than people realize. Sure. And just a lot more just showing up every day and figuring it out. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's a cliche, but so many people say it's a lot less romantic than you realize and not Absolutely. like it is in the movies or whatever. Uh, but I mean, there's a little part of that that's that's great that drives you. But uh, yeah, when they're like, "No, you're going to be on a forklift today for <laughs> seven hours," or right. you're going to be sorting you know, fruit, yeah, for you're 12. just going to be doing yeah, yeah, or walking a vineyard all day or something, you know. So um, yeah, that's that's interesting to yeah to hear that once again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for us, it was uh, it was about coming out here and digging in and. Um, that's how it started, and that's actually, you know, basically what we did was I came out here, and my first uh, opportunity was as a, in the tasting room, and you know, begged and borrowed till I got to the point where they started letting me helping. Uh, I started with Provenance, which was uh, kind of cool because Tom Rinaldi, who was the winemaker at Duckhorn originally and for a long time, had just started Provenance, um, and you know, it was. He was, in my mind, you know, a pretty legendary guy, and I got along with him right away. In fact, uh, the day I left, I, you know, I, he was not—he was noticeably upset that I had to leave, and it wasn't because I wanted to. It was just circumstances. Um, and I learned a lot there, just barely getting my, my feet wet. And then I started working at a bunch of small places and just helping out, you know, initially free of charge, you know, just going to go out and help some people you know, with their harvest and learn. And, and then I got a job at, um, a local wine bar. If you've been to Napa or you, you're obviously from here, everybody knows Bounty Hunter and, um, the owner and I clicked right away, got a job there and, you know, he immediately started asking me to help him manage the place. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, whoa. yeah, yeah. I'll do this again. Right, again, here we go. <laughs> I, I've been there. I don't want to do this again. Thank you. It's Manager in a restaurant is not yeah. the hours or pay that you want. Yeah. So it was It was like, you know, thank you. I'm just working part time. And eventually he threw the table or on the table, he threw the offer to uh, introduce me to Marco DiGiulio, who was at the time Bounty Hunters um, consulting winemaker. And he uh, eventually gave me the opportunity to start working with Marco on occasion. And I started in uh, with Gerard in the 2006 harvest. So I'd, I'd had three harvests prior, occasionally helping out and mm -hmm. working some other places. Um, and then I dug in in 06 at Gerard. And that's when I, you know, decided this is it. This is, you know, and to do what I wanted to do, I knew not having a degree, not having that background, it has to be dig in it has to be you know all or nothing kind of mentality so um which is probably why i found it pretty easy to work for you because yeah i uh yeah I've, I've seen the other kind as well which is you know go do this and that whereas you know you'll actually do it and <laughs> dig in as well still to this day and, uh i think i mentioned you before i work for somebody like that in new zealand as well and it's uh refreshing yeah. <laughs> it makes it easy particularly when we were doing some monster harvest that we had this year which we'll get to in a bit but um yeah so then just basically coming up moving up at gerard yeah, yeah. So it was uh intern to a full-time seller rat to uh seller master to system winemaker to winemaker and 
you know, I, I people like to say uh, use terms like uh, lucky or you know hardworking, but my favorite favorite term is fortunate. You know, I feel very fortunate. That yeah, I'd say that's I had those opportunities. Appropriate. I always yeah. say luck is uh, opportunity meets uh, circumstance or something sure. like that. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But. Um, or opportunity meets preparation. Sorry, that's yeah. what I want. So you're putting in the time. Now, did you realize at that time, maybe not 06, but as you were there, that this is a growing brand, that this is, you know, that the company that owns Gerard and what Gerard is sort of becoming now as this sort as their sort of flagship brand under a few other brands and that the company is, because I, I sense that fairly quickly just talking to a couple people that work there, but that was last year yeah. as opposed to, five six years ago no, five six years ago i still thought of us as small and uh you know we were mostly one brand doing some other things on the side and now we're massive our company's really big but they still look at gerard as you know you guys do your thing and do it right and they give us a lot of great tools for that but there was a you know there was an underlying um, opportunity that was you know presented to me is you can make your own wine here and you know, you know this, this. That's huge. I mean, to to ha- be able to make your own wine in the facility you work in full time, and it's not free. They 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 charge us, but they they they're very fair. And and the fact that I'm part of the family, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's a great opportunity. So, we Pam and I started our own label. Um, Pam is my wife. Uh, we Hi, st- Pam. She's <laughs> over there. Uh, and there's a dog. Um, yeah, multiple dogs. So uh, we started our own label in 2007. So a year after I was in Girard, we started making our first wines there. And um, I had no idea that we'd get as big as we did with uh, our company. Um, but it's been great. It's, a, it's still, and the one thing that was consistent, I'd say, is that I always saw some really amazing opportunities to learn. And to me, that's the most important thing that anybody could give you um, so at that time, Marco was the winemaker? Marco Gerard? was technically our consulting winemaker. Um, he eventually, our owner, Pat, came to him and said, I, I, want us to, I want us to do this. Let's stop messing around. And he convinced Marco to become a partner in the business. And Marco gave up all of his clients otherwise. So Bounty Hunter, as an example, went away as a client. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach... Uh, Zach Long, who is now the winemaker at Cundy, was my boss for the longest time as our as our winemaker at Girard. And Marco had a lot of the the namesake, you know, on the street, so to speak, uh, because he was known uh, with his history. But you know, I, I I learned a lot from him. But Zach was my everyday, you know, mentor, and and he he's a pretty young guy. Oh, he's yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's. I actually think that's a pretty cool thing about the company from what I can meet. You know, everybody's relatively young. I mean, Marco's uh, of age. I don't want to want to tread on water, tread on thin, water, right. thin ice there. But he, you know, uh, he's obviously got a, a great name and a lot of experience and everything. But as far as the the talent that they're bringing in, it's fairly young, mm-hmm. um, including yourself and, and uh, Zach and some of the other people I've met, you know. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I guess they need... <laughs> young young people to do those hours you know <laughs> yeah you do i mean let's let's be honest this is a lot of backbreaking work sometimes and um but it, it is it's a great it, it is a great company but even more so 
I think more important is uh, there's a lot of opportunities. And even with the growing pains that we've had at it on occasion, and still do, um, I honestly believe that you can learn more from those experiences that are not so positive. Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention, uh, you hopefully won't make those mistakes yourself. Yeah. Um, so that every day, you know, I always challenge our, our crew, you know, to that mentality of walk out of here with something new every day. And even if it's, you know, a negative thing, and you know this having worked with us, you know, the, uh, the infamous beer finds, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, some people initially think that that's just me kind of joking around about people make mistakes and, and we say, ah, you screwed up. You have a beer fine, which means, you know, for those of you listening, it means you have to bring in some beer to pay for your mistake. And we all share this beer on the end of the shift or whatever. <laughs> but um, to me, it wasn't about like making light of it. It is about learning and it is about, you know, uh, no, acknowledging. Funny. It goes up on the board too and goes, oh, everybody's done. How, how did that happen? How yeah. did they do that? Oh, shit, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> but it, it's, it's putting us all on a pedestal and saying we are all human. We all have the opportunity to make this mistake. The fact that Daniels drove forklift for 12 hours straight, he has a much more opportunity to make that mistake than I did yeah. sorting fruit all day. So, all right, I'm going to learn from his mistake. And yeah. I, I think that's what was important about it. But, it, you know, as a, as a general rule of thumb, it, I think that's what you should always look at in this industry is that, you know, there is opportunity to learn. To yeah, develop. I've, uh, I guess I've seen it both ways, but certainly most of the time, Certainly young people getting into the industry are usually surprised that it happens more often than they think where wine gets on the ground or, or sure. fruit does or something bad happens. And uh, you got to, if you dwell on it or if you are negative about it or things like that, it's only going to cause a tenser atmosphere to possibly have it happen again or something worse or something right. like that. And, and uh, you know, certainly when it's going on at the time, I've seen people panic mm-hmm. and I've seen the opposite. You know, luckily I've been w- fortunate enough to work with people that uh, don't panic and just say, hmm, which is another, uh, you know, what I, I witnessed with you many times, which is, okay, let's do this instead. Let's move this over here and all right, let's not make it worse, right. you know, uh, which, uh, you know, I brought my brother into the winery one time and, you know, barrel overflowed and I, uh, acted like it was his fault and he just oh my god i'm so sorry you know this and it's funny to see uh no actually that happens all the time yeah you have no <laughs> not, idea not all the time but you right. know you, you it does happen so <laughs> and, and, a, and a, a cup full of wine on the floor looks like ten thousand gallons yeah you yeah know, when you just, see it all spread out you go just, oh my oh, god well, <laughs> so. but i i honestly believe that's uh that is one thing that you know we we have always been very uh, good about is looking at it like you know we're going to always learn from this and develop ourselves and um so gerard uh focus on gerard as far as varietals uh i mean i know this but sure uh, we'll certainly put up a a link or whatever for people to check out Uh, yeah gerard i mean gerard being from napa uh as a brand uh you know cabernet out here is king and we definitely focus on cab and cab blends or one of our primary wines that we promote and kind of hang our hat on is a blend called artistry and it's almost always 60 ish percent cab and then year to year you know franc and malbec and merlot and pv they all kind of you know take their turns in line after that um and also year to year sold out because 
yeah. it's tough to find. Yeah, we, we do pretty well with that. Um, all of our wines. We, we you know, If anything, I, I keep getting told every year, like, you need to make more, you need to make more. And they, we, we also, you know, at the same time, we don't just increase production and, and solve that problem by solving the problem. Yeah. Um, there's definitely an emphasis on uh, keeping the quality there. Um, so, you know, cab and cab blends are definitely an important part of our portfolio. Uh, we make um, one white wine from Napa, which is our Sauvignon Blanc. And then uh, the other two varietals that are pretty important to us uh, is Zen and Petit Syrah. Uh, we have a so-called Old Vine Zen. Um, and that that actually is one of our best-selling wines and just seems to have a, a really good following. Mm-hmm. And um, it is not necessarily, like, I don't think of it as, well, it's just entirely older vines. There are definitely older vines involved. But what I like about what we do with it is there is some youth in there. There is some fruit, mm-hmm. um, bright fruit notes versus some of the more uh, extracted fruit characteristics that come from the older vines. And it seems to, you know, people enjoy it. So we've done really well with that. Uh, our Petit Syrah also does very well for us. We do one little blend called Mixed Blacks, which is our homage to the old world. Uh, it's a vineyard up in Calistoga that, you know, it's a block within this vineyard that we're not really sure all the varietals that are in there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're pretty sure it's mostly Zen Petit. And, you know, there's definitely some Rhone varietals in there. And then all of a sudden there's like, what is that? I have no yeah. idea. No, there's some, that's a... I've been on the sorting table and that stuff's yeah. come through and you're like, I'm yeah, not sure here? what was going on. But uh, that that's actually coming out, out the other end of it now. That was really, uh, having tasted it a few different bottles, that was really one of my favorites yeah. of, of what, what goes on there. Um, which, again, going back to the, the company, uh, I don't know if I've told you, I went and did a tasting at Gerard last year when I was doing Harvest here and just got such a positive experience not just from the wines but from the people who were tasting and i would say that uh to people if you if you actually have the opportunity to be in a region where you're like oh i'm gonna try to look for a job here next year um uh, you know i sensed it was a growing brand i heard from other people which was cool and i thought i want to do that uh but you can also tell the people that work there were pretty cool and happy and just sort of got it as far as service goes like back off certain people maybe push it a little bit with other people have some fun and make people feel relaxed and to me i know that that stuff comes from the top really you know as far as they're happy to work there and and uh uh, i don't know where that comes from within the company uh, but it's it's definitely i sensed it pretty strongly there so uh and it it came true so i don't know that's maybe some advice or something to put out there to people but yeah i mean you can't you know you've gone in that tasting room where you're like this these wines are supposed to be awesome, but this place blows. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. And the people don't really seem to be, they either talk down to you or you yeah. know, they don't really know what they're doing or care. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the term is culture. I mean, we, I think we have a pretty good culture as a company, and that's something we you know, try and instill. The tasting rooms are very, you know, it's a great compliment. And I know our, uh, our director of the tasting rooms, Aaron, who I worked with at it in a previous life, uh, Bounty Hunter, um, you know, she knows service and she knows how to treat people. She knows how to p- make people feel welcome. Yet at the same time, she sells wine. Like yeah, she does. And, and it's it's not the hard sell. It's uh, making f- people feel good about being in there. And, you know, the product speaking for itself. And 
all, all of that seems to add up to the right you know equation you know to make things happen and that's that's a great compliment I appreciate totally that. Too, totally yeah. to uh quote a friend of ours yes um and then uh as far as uh, hugo family sellers yes so you've chosen uh different varietals for that and is that because you wanted to be different or you just fell in love with your own varietals or is it just you know probably like me where you have a curiosity to work with other varietals and all of the above yeah, yeah. uh it probably initially started with um an experience Pam and I had back in Texas. We were living in Houston at the time, and I was traveling, and I ended up in this uh, Dallas, Texas liquor store for whatever reason. I was probably buying beer. Um, no. And they had, you know, they had this tiny little wine section, and I'm curious, so I'm see what they have. And they had the obvious stuff for a liquor store, you know, like now, well, you know, all the big names. And it was obviously not the best place in the world for wine. Uh, it was warm. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> just like, wow, you guys really should just not sell wine. I mean, that's my first thought. But as I was browsing, I find this tiny little stash. Um, it wasn't even on the top shelf. It was actually on the bottom shelf of a few bottles of, of Chateau Neuf de Pop. And uh, a buddy of mine. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the thing was back then, I didn't really have an appreciation for it but a buddy of mine who's a chef working for our company had always told me you know he's a big fan of Chateau Neuf you should really check him out and become more you know uh, in tune to what they're about and I was like you know hey this is the perfect bottle to buy I don't know how it's going to be could be horrible it's not I don't think the the conditions it's being stored in cheap enough like it was 20 bucks and it was uh, uh, Chateau Beaucastel so, you know, one of the biggest names, I recognize the name only by, I've read or seen something about this, these guys. Sure. And um, I bought the bottle thinking, eh, it'll probably, you know, it's worth it to try it and wait for him to show up. So one day, a year later, I think it was, you know, I got home and stuck it in our wine cooler. And so it was, you know, at that point it was being taken care of, but uh, who knows what damage had already been done. A year later, he finally comes to town and we all uh, make dinner together. Um, it's just, you know, myself, Pam, and our friend Thomas, uh, the chef. And I'm like, I'm so excited, man. I got this bottle that I've been waiting to try with you. And so, you know, I plan it all out. I got the right glasses, everything. You know, I'm all excited. Pop it, pour it, immediately smell it, and just like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> man, they, they, yeah, no, guys, sorry. This is, this is not good. It smelled horrible. Smelled like a bad old shoe buried in the. You know. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. So it was it was nothing nothing good initially, and we kind of talked about we're like you know just let's just push it aside, let's have dinner. Went and grabbed another bottle of something fun, something younger, something cool. Drank that. That was great. Somewhere in the meal, one of us turned to the glass and smelled it, and then it was like, oh my God, guys, come here, come here, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huddle up, huddle up. And it was, you know, a good 15 minutes of just descriptor after descriptor. And even back then, you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider Pam and I very good at describing wines. I mean, we... You guys have palettes, though. We you had palettes. Yeah, we yeah. had the basics down. But it was like somebody just, we were reading off of somebody else's notes. Like, all of a sudden, we couldn't stop describing this wine. And there were so many more specifics. I mean, it wasn't just... It smells like mushrooms. It was, these are sh- shiitakes and cremini's and, and, you know, the fruit isn't just 
red fruits. This is definitely more like of a, a raspberry, but you know, and then just going on, we just couldn't stop talking about them. And I think we barely even drank it. Like we were just smelling it and blown away. 15 minutes later, kaboom, done, fell apart, failed miserably. <laughs> but those 15 minutes yeah, were yeah. amazing. And it was one of those, you know, everybody talks about the so-called aha moment in wine for them. For us, that was one of those moments, like really just, you know, nail on the head, boom. So I immediately started getting more and more interested in rums, and um, that's where that started. And then coming to California, working for a company that was more, you know, cab dominant, uh, it was it was easier to say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, making these wines. And yeah found a, a, what we thought was a really good source when we first started and we're still making the same wine from that source today so um that's actually what's in your glass was uh one of the first ones we started with in 07 which was uh grenache and syrah based wine which i would say in the last half an hour has changed quite a bit yeah uh it's opened up a lot and uh that was one of the first things i thought when you opened it was a little tight so what is this? I'm sorry. It's, it's you said 50-50? Yeah, Syrah 50, Grenache. 50% Grenache, 50% Syrah, uh, Russian River Valley. Uh, Which, by the way, was over-pouring, swelling when I yeah. was there last Saturday. Yeah, it was And uh, I'm not as familiar with swamp. it as, as I was with my uh, my flatmate who said, I've never seen the river that <laughs> that full before. Yeah. Um, it was a but a really cool region up, up there. Uh, uh, Led Zeppelin I, was there, the levee broke. The levee well, yeah, it was it was uh, it was all happening out there. Nice, but a cool rainy day, and um, not that it wasn't raining everywhere uh, in the area around then. Uh, but I think it's pretty. And Napa and California is pretty pretty unique in that you can hop around and find some amazing little microclimates, and like right next door, over right. the hill. This one here, I mean, Napa in itself is obviously a bit of a little miracle. And, and uh you know how the fog settles in into the two valleys and then gets super hot during the day and then there's the hillsides and then there's the valley floor and then there's the morning hillsides and the afternoon hillsides but you know that sort of applies for all over and uh it's pretty pretty unique to be able to source fruit from oh no i'm gonna do this coming fruit from just 40 minutes away or something and right. make a totally different varietal totally different style and uh you know do that homage back to to the old world that you want to try to do and um uh and this year you made grenache blanc as well but you're doing some other varietals too or? uh we made well we made grenache again also from same source that we've been making since uh 07 um which we've always been happy with uh sarah lee's vineyard which is in the Russian river valley and uh this year, for fun, uh, I got a little bit of Grenache Blanc from a, a guy that we, Gerard buys fruit from. He's a crazy, crazy older guy named Roger King, and very to this, you know, he's more passionate than most crazy know, older guys, twenty-year-old guys <laughs> that are into wine. He's very, you know, crazy. He's just into it, and he has fun with it. At, at the, I think he's in his mid to late sixties. You love seeing that. I mean, I, I don't want to work as hard as he's working at that age, but he does it and he loves it. He's keeping him, he's keep him going for another 20 years. You know? Yeah, and you and, I, you and I talked about it. You're like, why are you, why are you making this? And I said, I don't know. I want, to, I, want to, I want to try something different. And, again, kind of going with the Roan theme, um, you know, I, I thought it would be fun to, to play with this varietal, and I'm not even sure if it'll what it's going to be yet. We're still 
yep. you know, working on it. And I wouldn't even mind the idea of it, you know, a tiny bit of it going into the red blend, you know. That I think that's a, a really hard thing, again, getting back into whether or not the business of wine or things like that. Or, but you have to make those choices to say, uh, well, this year I'm going to try this because it might turn into something 10 years from now that, you know, but you have to start doing these other little shoot-offs and little, right. little experiments. Otherwise, where are you going to go with things? And um, I don't know, that's, I'm sure it does for you too, but that's what drives me to, you know, these little side projects and this pain in the ass ferment over on over to the side that, oh, that's a son of a bitch this year, but then next year you come back and it might be totally different. Sure. Or, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it's good to hear that. Yeah, it's it's and uh, again going back to the region, it's nice to be able to look around and you know n you're not in Marlboro or something where you're like, oh, I'm going to do a barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> 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 you can you know reach out and find a lot of different varietals in the area, so that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so Grenache Syrah, mm -hmm. Grenache Blanc. Um, always made a we've made a Sauvignon Blanc all along the way. Uh, again, this is away from the uh, Rhone theme, but. Uh, it's a varietal Pam and I have always appreciated and loved. Like we wanted to make a wine that we're going to be drinking, you know, regularly, regularly, nice warm weather. You know, start croquet, start up the barbecue. We're going to drink this wine all on the way. Oh, the meat's off the grill. Okay, now we're popping the reds. Yeah, and uh, actually, RSB is uh, it's known for having a little uh, little kick of RS to it, which with the acidity, we think, uh, is pretty well balanced. And where's that sourced from? Uh, it's actually uh, it's actually sourced from Gerard's one and only vineyard that we own. Well, not one and only, but the main vineyard uh, that we talk about for Gerard is the Sauvignon Blanc vineyard that's adjacent or kitty corner to the Culinary Institute. Oh, um, yeah, CIA. Yeah, yeah, we call it the CIA vineyard. Yeah. Um, so we've made that three times in the last uh, f five years now. Um, and it's, uh, so we don't make it every year. We make it uh, as we need to, mm -hmm. or as we like the wine, I should say. And so that's our, our other white right now. And then uh, we just came out with a blend uh, this last year. We've had a lot of fun with. Um, we, we named all of our wines Latin, which I know people, some people make fun of us for that, you know. Um, the white's called Varus, which is Latin for um, the production of spring. Our Syrah from Napa Valley, we call Adamari, which is Latin for to love something passionately. And then uh, Maceo, the Russian river, Grenache Syrah we were talking about, is uh, Latin for the blend. And then I told Pam, I said, you know, we had this really kind of interesting opportunity. The guy that we buy our Syrah from here in Napa came to us after we bought or got our Syrah for that label and said, hey, I've got, you know, another four or five tons worth of fruit. I'm not going to use it. It's been another couple weeks. you have any interest? And we worked out a deal with them. So it was on the vines for a couple more, a little more than two, two and a half weeks longer than what we had originally taken for our initial label, Adamari. And, you know, he gave us a really good deal on it. And we're like, let's, let's play with this. Let's have fun. Like you said, you know, it's like sometimes the opportunities just get handed to you. So we play with it for a year and a half or so. And all along the way, I started thinking about the idea of making it a blend for us. And um, 
played with some different ideas, uh, and ultimately it ended up being Syrah Cab in Malbec. And uh, we kind of segued away from the Latin names and named this one Vision Quest. And I, <laughs> when I first proposed the idea to Pam, um, I kind of knew this was going to happen. She said, uh, oh, man, you're talking about the movie, <laughs> the wrestling movie from uh, the 80s or whatever. Sure, sure. And I'm like, well, I actually like that movie. I thought <laughs> yeah, it was great. But uh, uh, I said, no. I mean, I, I, yeah, the movie was named that. Who's for, the actor again? I'm trying to uh, I just heard an interview with him. Matthew, Matthew Modine. Modine. Yes, yeah, yes. And Madonna that. did the soundtrack. I yes, mean, she well, did. Well, she had a cameo in it, yes. actually. Um, uh, so anyway, it was, uh, you know, I had to talk her into it because it wasn't, to me, it wasn't about a movie or anything. It was, it was actually a reference, um, to my father's side of my, our family, which, you know, he, um, my great grandmother was full blooded Cherokee and, you know, Native American culture at some point in your, you know, usually early on in your life, you go on what's called the vision quest as you probably know. And. Uh, for those of you who don't out there, it's basically the principle of, uh, and, and, you know, typically it's drug induced. Um, <laughs> so peyote or something gets, uh, you know, passed around and they send you out in the woods. And at some point you're supposed to have a vision of who you're going to be, right? That's the whole point of a vision quest. And what I told Pam, I said, you know, to me, wine has become our vision quest. It just took us, you know, a little further down the road to figure it out. And I said, I really like the reference that we have a wine called Vision Quest because, you know, it speaks to our our history on my, my family side of the business. But um, See, I was thinking it was a reference to the uh, camps for really bad kids that are out there. <laughs> have you ever seen those? Like, you'll see them in the middle of the woods driving. Yeah. I've done a lot of long drives throughout North America. and. You'll, you'll be in the middle of nowhere and you'll see Camp Vision Quest and you're like, oh, there's some bad kids there. Yeah, know? there's trouble. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's... Oh, you were a Vision Quest kid or something. You know? No, maybe there's a little of that too. We probably all need that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the purpose was to uh, have a wine that you know speaks to uh, us following our dream. And that's really what this was all about from day one. And, um, so it's a fun blend. We've had a lot of great success with that wine. So Yeah, I think... Um... You know, it's kind of fun in California and, well, New World overall in that you don't have to stick to traditional, um, you know, blends and things like that. So to be able to blend Syrah with some, which I think is, I think Syrah, I just totally love Syrah. I make, you know, we make it at the winery where I work at in New Zealand and we blend it with Cab and Merlot. So it's not probably not that different in that, uh, the Cab Malbec you're talking about. But it's such a great tool within the wine because it's, sure. it's uh, you know, it's sort of backbone comes from its acidity and it provides some pepper notes and things like that and uh just to have the freedom to do that and say well no we're gonna do something different here and and uh i, I think that's uh we're fortunate to be able to do that well and, tru and truth fun. be told if uh, you look at history what they'll admit to it you know even in bordeaux mm. before the rules were there the classic blend yeah yeah they're yeah. they're still in syrah from coat roti and sticking it in the bordeaux blend so yeah Totally. That's um, great, you know. And I you know, to your point, um I I used to teach, you know, all these servers in the restaurant industry because I you know, I obviously did training for it as well. And you know, you have to you have to somehow figure out a way to make a nineteen year old sell a hundred dollar bottle of wine or maybe they are were of age, maybe they are twenty one or older, but 
Um, they haven't drank a lot of wine. They don't drink wine. Yeah, and it's, you know, they're gonna go have some Mickey's after work or something, you know. And it, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, how do I, you know, get you to understand this? And, you know, I I used to talk about how like in America we don't have all those rules. We don't. We haven't. We haven't been making wine seriously. And if you factor in prohibition, it kind of screwed everything up. Um, you know, we don't have the opportunity that. You know, Europe, as an example, have thousands of years of experience. So wouldn't it be interesting? Interesting. I don't want it to happen. But wouldn't it be interesting at some point in, in you know, the United States history, as an example, that we figured out that, you know, Cabernet from this region is what it's all about. And Syrah should be grown here. And, and we've slowly developed that to a certain degree. I mean, we have pockets that we all sure. agree that, you know, wow, Cabernet in Napa Valley, that's, you know, pretty easy. Uh, you know, Santa Barbara, great Pinot Noirs. Personally, I love the, the Syrahs from there as well. Um, you know, there, there's definitely some things starting to unfold that, but we're only, you know, gosh, so I mean, crazy. if you figure like, you know, the, the, the surgeons in the late 60s into the 70s, going from, you know, in California, a handful to a couple handfuls of winery, you know, it's, we're still so, you know, barely moved along in that history where would we be in 100 years? You know? uh, I think we talked about it a little bit, but uh, that's great to hear from a California producer, uh, from somebody who, uh, you know, I've interviewed somebody from Virginia and right. New Jersey, the guy you met from New Jersey, Todd, and I think they're making awesome wines. And where and, where and will that be in, you know, in our, we won't see, maybe we won't see it in our generation. Maybe we will. But in 100 years from now, you know, could some some areas of Virginia find the perfect varietals and find the, their sweet spots, you know? Yep. And I, I look forward to that in the United States. I, I think, and not just the United States, the new world in general, where we haven't had as much history to figure all that out, how, how much it's going to unfold. And I think it's gonna be interesting. I wish I could just fast forward, see it all. I still want to come back to our time, time. machine. Yeah. I got a hot tub time machine at my Do house. You? So Sweet. you can, you can come check it out. But unfortunately right. I'm moving in a week or two. So uh, well, maybe next time. Yeah, we'll come back. Um, Hugo Family Cellars can be found. I've, I, I Actually, this is a little side story I, I haven't even mentioned to you yet. I had an opportunity kind of pop its head up for one, for my wine. Somebody said, oh, yeah, and I won't go into the details on the podcast here. It's kind of behind the scenes, way behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. We'll talk about wine behind the scenes. I don't want to talk about dirty distribution behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a uh, I was looking researching distributors in a particular state. And there's actually like kind of like a Yelp for distributors. Oh, like, is there really? Like people saying whether they're good or bad and things like that. Yeah, and I, so I'm reading through it. I like the best one I found in this particular state. Uh, you know, seem to have some good reviews and these guys are pros and they're really good. And I thought, okay. So I went to their website and looked up. Hugo Family Cellars is one of their the wines on their list. So yeah. I thought, I could ask plan about these guys yeah. <laughs> i didn't see any new zealand wine off there or anything but it made me think uh, i because I, I had never researched uh, where you guys are available and uh you know i know gerard sort of stretches pretty far and wide uh but uh out you know probably the easiest way is to go to your website absolutely and, yeah you know. that's that's the main uh focus for us and we're, we're we're you know this is just pam and i doing this on the side she has a full-time gig and obviously uh gerard keeps me busy but as we have the opportunity, you know, we've, uh, we've been out there selling ourselves, um, and our brand. Um, so we've got, can, we have distribution really only in two uh, states outside of California, which is Nevada 
and back to Texas, which, you know, we obviously have a foothold there because, you know, we're from there. And in Texas, you know, if you don't know this, and no matter what you think of this state, they drink wine like nobody's business. And And, and actually that's known in New Zealand. Like they know Texas, Florida, New York. You know, and actually California is pretty good, too, uh, because there's a, probably a higher level of appreciation in the state, and there's almost two huge markets. But Texas is known internationally as a great wine market because yeah. it's just – they it drink sells. a lot. Yeah. It sells. And, and you know, they, they were one of the few areas that wasn't as deeply impacted by the recession and the housing market. And so, they don't make a lot of wine themselves. No, so. they, they <laughs> do make some. And, you know, probably if I have some of my Texas friends listening right now, you know, Sorry, guys, I had to leave. It, it, it's good, but I didn't want to learn that side of it from there. But um, it's a great market. We, we sell a lot of wine out there, actually. And, you know, the goal someday is that we will, you know, be at a point in our lives where Pam can do it full time and sell. And that would probably change everything. Like, that's the game changer when she can actually do that and actually visit the markets more often. I need to find a Pam is what you're telling me. Yeah, you need a Pam. <laughs> You need a Pam, the Pam that can just do that. Yeah, that's the thing. I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly, if we just uh, could sell in our the Bay Area, we would sell yeah. out. Yeah, easily. Um, and then you have a few markets outside, but um, it does uh, take time. But I think it's people have uh, certainly, you know, hopefully there's people listening in other countries, and certainly there'll be some some Kiwis out there listening, and maybe a couple of Italians or. Aussies or something, but uh, it is a massive, massive market in the U.S. And if you can tap one state, pretty good. Yeah. You're you're you've got a probably bigger than the country you're in right now. Right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're drinking more and more. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, it's exciting. I, I appreciate that part about the United States. We're nowhere near, you know, the culture side of wine that you know Europe is. Or you know, you don't you don't. It's not you're not seeing it on the table as you grow up. Well, at least in my 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 life, but I might moving forward. You know, if we have children, they'll they'll have pink milk. You yeah. know, <laughs> and what I love about our country is we are finally, as a whole, starting to drink more and more wine and drinking better wines. I mean, we're we're starting yeah. to trade up, and that's that's a great trend to see. Yeah. Totally. Yes, I find myself saying that more and more. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, cool, man. I've got some info here that I'm going to uh, post when I post this this interview. But I want to um, whether you realize it or not, we've actually gone over 45 minutes, wow. so yeah. that was pretty quick. I talk and, a lot. Yeah. Well, no, I, had a, I knew we would have a lot to talk about. Uh, what would be cool is if uh, passing through at some point we can catch up after next harvest or something like that. And yeah. See where things are at. Uh, Anytime. After a big and juicy one this year, uh, where I think the trend all over Napa Sonoma was uh, high yields, high quality, um, and spirits are high right now, and yeah. you've got a lot of options, and you know everybody's got a little spring in their step. Uh, maybe I'll come back when you're not so happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is a tough one. So, uh, but cheers! Thanks for for doing this. Yeah, I have absolutely. a little wine left in my glass. I drank most of it. Cheers. Talk to you soon.